You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, in our last lecture, we were talking about Isaiah 55, and again, we did not uh, get very far in the chapter, so we've got a lot to talk about today. So let's go ahead and get started, picking up once again at verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now, so far the text. Now, these words, of course, uh, teach to us that this, this eating this drinking, that you have the bread. And of course, man does not live by bread alone, but by the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now notice the invitation. The invitation is to come and to eat, to drink, and to be satisfied. And how does that happen? Well, by inclining your ear that you may hear, that you may come to me, says Yahweh. Of course, these words are reflected In the gospel according to St. John, when the very word of God, when Yahweh himself took upon flesh and dwelt among us. So that you see in John chapter 5 when Jesus says this, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Again, remember the words here in Isaiah. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Jesus, of course, is life. He is the word of God. Life incarnate, word incarnate, the one who comes to give to us the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Now, later on in John's Gospel in chapter 6, again, when Jesus is speaking the words of life, you get to the point at verse 60 in John 6, when many of his disciples heard what he was saying, but they said that this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? And then later on in chapter 6, verse 67, when many of the disciples had left and no longer wanted to learn and listen wanted to hear Jesus and heed his word, Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And it's Simon Peter who answers him in behalf of all the uh, the apostles. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Of course, these are the Alleluia words that we use at the reading of the Holy Gospel in the Divine Liturgy. 
when we say that Jesus gives us life, that his words give to us eternal life, that he speaks life into us. And when he speaks life into us, he breathes the Holy Spirit into us, that we may have life, that he alone has the words of eternal life. Again, remember that in Isaiah chapter 55, he says, Incline your ear and come to me and hear that your soul may live. But the passage, of course, goes on to say, And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now, we want to note here that in the New Testament, Paul will quote this passage from Isaiah 55 in Acts chapter 13. Now, take note of what Paul is doing with this text. The evangelist Luke wrote, and I quote, And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with the fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Now notice what Paul is doing. He is taking this passage from Isaiah 55 and splicing it together with Psalm 16 about the Holy One who would not see corruption, the one who would not be abandoned to Sheol. That this, of course, is a promise of the death and resurrection of Christ. Now that promise to David is now extended to all believers, that I will give you, in the plural, the holy and sure blessings of David. And Jesus, of course, is the Christ, the anointed one, and it is in him we are the anointed ones. Or as Luther would say, little Christ. So as Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit in the waters of the Jordan River at his baptism, we, too, are anointed by the Holy Spirit in the waters of holy baptism. Therefore, the evangelist John writes in his first epistle in chapter 2, saying, You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And he goes on to say, The anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. That word of Jesus, which is eternal life, the word that is truth, and the word, of course, that is spirit. When Jesus speaks, he pours out the spirit into us, upon us, continuing to give to us life, newness of life, that we may walk in his light. Now, as Christ is anointed by faith in him through holy baptism, we too are anointed ones. And so that just as Christ is the righteous servant, 
we become righteous servants. Just as Christ is the only begotten Son of God, we become adopted sons of God by grace in the waters of holy baptism. Now, Jesus, of course, is the king, and we become kings with him, heirs to the throne and heirs to his kingdom. Now, in Isaiah 53, again, remember that he is the righteous servant, the suffering servant. And we note that in Isaiah 53, verse 11, by the knowledge of him, the righteous one, my servant, he will justify, that is, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. But he is the righteous servant, and then we become righteous servants by faith. And so in him, we are righteous servants of God. This is the heritage of the servants of Yahweh, and their righteousness is from me, declares Yahweh. And that, of course, is in Isaiah 54, verse 17. Now, Jesus is the king, and in him we are kings. This is the language of Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is Revelation chapter 1, that in our baptism, we are anointed priests and kings. We are his holy people, his holy nation, his holy temple. Of course, Peter will also use the same imagery in his first letter to the baptized in chapter 2, saying, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, these words in the New Testament echo the words of Moses written for us back in Exodus chapter 19. Through the mouth of the prophet Moses, Yahweh declares, Therefore, if you will indeed hear my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, of course, in the days of Isaiah and the days following his death, when the Israelites found themselves in captivity in Babylon, they were anything but a kingdom of priests, nor a holy nation, nor, of course, not even a kingdom of kings. Instead, the kingdom had fallen, the throne was overthrown, and the temple was toppled. And so it appeared as if everything was now destroyed, that the covenant was broken. I mean, we see this picture and image in Psalm 89, in which we read at verse 38. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his stronghold in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. 
You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Salah. Of course, these are the words of Psalm 89, but they reflect the meditation and the prayers of the people in the days of the destruction of the kingdom of Judah. The splendor of earthly Jerusalem was no more. Remember, again, in the first half of Isaiah, those first 39 chapters, Isaiah was warning about impending doom. But it's in the second half of Isaiah, in which we have Isaiah chapter 40 through 66, in which those words of comfort are to be given to the people, so that when they are in the midst of this this anxiety, the midst of this affliction, they can be comforted by the words of promise from God. So again, it appears as if the covenant is broken and God's people have been rejected. Now, furthermore, in Psalm 89, picking up at verse 48, we have these words. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Salah, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Again, notice these questions, these questions of contemplation and meditation about the power of Sheol. Who can deliver from the power of Sheol? And what about those promises, the faithfulness that you had sworn to David? And then, of course, later on in Psalm 89 at verse 50, Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations. I want you to understand this is the the contemplation, this is the frustration, this is the, the humility, the humiliation of the people of God. The ones who did not listen to God are now in captivity. They have found themselves cursed because they have broken the covenant. And now they're pondering and they're wondering, is it all come to an end? But it's in this second half of Isaiah where we have these words of promise. Again, Remember what this verse said in Isaiah 55, verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now again, remember those words that we heard that Paul was preaching in Acts chapter 13 where he was taking this passage and splicing it together with Psalm 16, in which Paul says, from these words of Isaiah, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And then he splices it together with Psalm 16, saying, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. See, when he went down into the grave, when he went down to Sheol, he was delivered from the power of Sheol. That the human authorities, you have the religious leaders, the high priests put him to death. But God overturns the judgment where the high priest says guilty. God vindicates him and says not guilty, overrules the verdict, raising back to life the Christ. Just like the promise to David in Psalm 16. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol Or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, once again, I want us to make this comparison between Psalm 89 and the answer of God in Isaiah 55. In that meditation, that prayer of anxiety, the issue at hand in the petition is that 
You, O Lord, have renounced the covenant with your servant. Now, here's the response of God in Isaiah 55. Listen, here I will make you an everlasting covenant. You see, the Old Testament was temporary. And this is what we're told in Hebrews chapter 10, for the Holy Spirit teaches us and says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. That Old Testament, it is done away with. It fades away and it makes way for the reality. The New Testament. The New Testament in Christ's blood, which, of course, we receive in the Lord's Supper. This is the everlasting covenant. So that later on in Hebrews chapter 12, the Holy Spirit says, But you, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Again, this is the blood of the New Testament that is poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. This is the righteousness that God bestows upon us, Christ's righteousness, as a benefit and not a merit, something that he has achieved for us and it's received by faith. But it's all accomplished by the all-availing sacrifice of Christ on the cross. The Christ is the true David. The Christ is the true covenant. He's the true king, and he brings the kingdom. And notice it's not the temporary earthly kingdom of Jerusalem that has come to an end. But it's the eternal kingdom of God, of the eternal Son, the eternal Word of God, the one who gives to us this eternal covenant. And so later on in Hebrews chapter 13, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. This is the promise of the eternal covenant, this sure blessing of David and his kingdom. I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast sure love for David. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Now, when we talk about making a covenant, what we mean literally is cutting a covenant. You cut a covenant with the people. Of course, we're using the word covenant interchangeably with testament. Now, under that covenant of Moses, the testament of Moses, we refer to this as the Old Testament. It was temporary, and it has been done away with. Now, we want to go back prior, before the Testament at Mount Sinai with Moses. In fact, we want to look at the original covenant that was cut with Abraham. Why? Because it includes all the people. It is for all the nations. Remember, the promise to Abraham is that from Abraham there will be kings, 
and from Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So it included all the people, included all the kings. Now we look at Genesis chapter 17, where God says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now it's here in Genesis chapter 17 that God institutes circumcision as the sign of the covenant. Of course, take note that in circumcision you are cutting. Now again, with Abraham, this covenant, this promise is that in his seed, the one who is to be born, who will crush the serpent's head, all humanity, all the nations will be blessed. And when this covenant is made with David, the promise is that the seed would be from the tribe of Judah, that the offspring would be the son of David who would bring this eternal kingdom, a kingdom that expands to the nations. For instance, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, in which God makes this promise with David, he says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now here we have the promised seed, the son that would crush the serpent's head given to Adam and Eve. The promise that was given, of course, to Abraham that in this offspring, all the nations shall be blessed. And that Yahweh goes on and says in verse 14 in Second Samuel 7, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, later on in the same chapter, David will then pray and respond by saying, Who am I, O Yahweh Adonai, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Adonai Yahweh, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this instruction, that's this Torah, is for all humanity, O Adonai Yahweh. Now you see, this covenant here, the blessing, is to be for all people, just like the covenant to Abraham. Now, now understand these two different covenants, the covenant with Abraham prior to Moses and the covenant with David after Moses. Now, of course, in the book of Isaiah, the one who is the promised seed, the promised offspring who crushes the serpent's head, is the one who will be the covenant for the people. You'll see this in Isaiah 42, when the father says to the son, I am Yahweh, I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Or again in Isaiah 49, Thus says Yahweh, In a time of favor I have answered you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you, and I will give you as a covenant to the people, to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage, saying to the prisoners, 
come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. All the bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. Again, I want you to see this connection between Isaiah 49, that the Christ, the Son of God, is going to be sent as the covenant. So the Father says to the person of the Son, I will give you as a covenant to the people. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But again, notice in Isaiah 49, this invitation The invitation that they would come out, out of darkness, that is, that they would be brought into his marvelous light. Notice also the image that they shall not hunger and they shall not thirst, because he will lead them by springs of water and guide them. This is a shepherd imagery, but this, of course, is also connected to what we've been talking about here in Isaiah chapter 55 with that invitation. Do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David." Of course, again, this was the invitation of those who were hungry that they would eat and those who were thirsty. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. But this is what Christ has come to do. He comes to satisfy those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For he is Yahweh, our righteousness. He is the covenant. The new covenant is given to us through his shed blood on the cross for you and for me. He hung his body on that tree. Now, going back to Isaiah chapter 55 at verse 4. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Now, notice that the hymn here, the referent, is Jesus. Jesus has eyes to see and ears to hear. He is the faithful servant and the faithful witness, the true witness. Thus, back in Isaiah 50, the true witness says that Adonai Yahweh has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. And then later on, Adonai Yahweh has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, I turned not backward, I gave my cheek to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Now understand that Christ is the true servant, the true witness, the one who bears witness to all humanity of the truth. In fact, he is incarnate truth. He is to be the witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander. Israel failed to be a witness to the nations. 
But yet we are taught to wait and anticipate the promise fulfilled in the true witness who is to come, the one who would bless all nations. In fact, in the prophet Zephaniah chapter 3, we hear an echo of this promise. Therefore, wait for me, declares Yahweh, for the day when I raise up as a witness, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. Of course, notice that right now, as the apostles are sent out to the nations, they're to proclaim Jesus as the one mediator between man and God. At the same time, they are also to bear witness to the fact that Jesus is the judge appointed by the Father, the one who will come again to judge the living and the dead. But now is the day of salvation. Now, when you hear his voice, you are to rejoice and to believe in the salvation and the forgiveness of sins that he comes to bring. But yet, on that last day, it will be too late. The sheep hear his voice now and will hear it on that last day. But the goats, they refuse to listen and be saved. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.